What's up, Painted Profits podcast listeners? I'm Darius Bell, executive producer of the podcast. This Friday's episode is a sit-down between Samson and Zach Roth of Elevated Accounting and Tax. In just a few years, Zach has built a pretty successful firm on the back of one principle, be the leader you've always wanted to have. So open your favorite note-taking app, grab a piece of pen and paper, and enjoy today's podcast. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Paint to Profits. I'm your host, Samson Jagoris, and today I'm sitting down with my friend, Zach Roth, elevated uh, accountants and uh, CPAs. And he's been in this space for 12 years. He's spent three years growing his CPA firm, has done a tremendous job, has experienced some, some tremendous growth. And so really excited to just unpack his knowledge of making that transition over from working from somebody else to being an entrepreneur, as well as kind of peel back the layers a little bit on some of the biggest mistakes that he sees entrepreneurs make uh, year in and year out as it relates to their finances. So Zach, man, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Um, so kind of give us the rundown. Did you always know that you wanted to be in this space of finance or did you stumble into that? What's the story there? Yeah, I, I, I truly stumbled into it. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I took forever in college. I think it took me six years to graduate. I just, I, I, I changed majors four times, right? I, I really had no idea. And um, I started taking some business courses because, you know, our, our generation, I'm 35. So m- my generation, our generation, we were pretty much told, like, get a degree and you'll be all right. And it turns out that that's maybe not the best advice anymore. But right. that's the advice we got when we were kids. And so when I was, you know, kind of stumbling and flailing in my early 20s, trying to figure out which direction I wanted to run in, I uh, started taking some business classes. I figured just get a business degree and kind of see where you end up. Um because it applies to a lot of different things. And so uh, I started taking a variety of classes, uh, started taking some accounting classes. And I enjoyed it, but what I noticed more than anything is that I got the concepts quickly and other people around me had no idea what was going on. And smart people, smart people that were in other classes I was taking and I knew that they were competent and capable and they were lost. And so stick to what you're good at. Right. I I said, you know what, I'm capable of doing this. I understand it. I know that there's a demand for people that, that can do this. Right. And so, uh, started moving in that direction. I ended up taking more entrepreneurship classes and had some really pivotal, uh, professors in my life that kind of pushed me, uh, and, and lit a fire in me a little bit. And so to answer your question, I stumbled into it, realized that I understood it when other people didn't, thought I could do it for a living and then thought I could help people. And so that's, that's really, you know, how I found that route. Did you, did you grow up in a family where there was entrepreneurship or? It's so interesting. Yes, I did. So my dad, uh, my dad literally worked for one person in his entire life when he was 16, when he was 17, he started his first business, which was Roth construction company. And that lasted until about two years ago. My dad's 66. So uh, yes, I was around uh, an entrepreneur my entire life, but um, my dad was a, a great influence on my life in a lot of different ways, but I wouldn't say that we ever talked about that. We never talked about why he likes to work for himself or the financial benefits or the freedom that he has or how any of it worked, right? Um, that wasn't stuff that we talked about. Ended up buying some rental properties and doing some investing on his own. Never talked to me about that stuff either. So I, I observed it and I understood it, but it wasn't something that I was educated in. So it was just kind of like from afar, I understood that 
Uh, my dad had a business, but you know, I worked in it when I was a kid, you know, scrapping out jobs and doing that kind of stuff. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I was groomed to follow in the footsteps. My dad very much, uh, kind of back to the last point, my dad very much was like, go to college, get a degree, do what you want to do. You know, that, that was kind of the narrative. So I, I saw it, but I wouldn't say that I was nurtured into that environment. Did he have employees or was he like a solo? Yeah. So he, uh, He's kind of the old type of contractor where he actually wore a tool belt and he swung the hammer. And so he did uh, big custom homes, um, mostly in West Loveland, Southwest Loveland, uh, not far from uh, from where your wife grew up. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, he was kind of a solopreneur. He would uh, he would have an employee every once in a while that would help him build a house. But he's literally building the walls, putting the walls up. He would sub out a few things, but he would only do a house or two a year. Cause that's only as fast as he could build yeah. the house himself. So, uh, very much kind of an, uh, independent person, never had partners, just kind of hired when he needed some extra help, but it was just him. Yeah. yeah. Th- my dad's the same way. That's why I asked that question. Yeah. And I think about that because my dad's an incredibly independent guy. I've talked oh. about this before on the podcast, but when he was 13, his mom died and his dad walked out. Oh. So he'd been running to his own drum for a long time. And entrepreneurship for him was different. It was like a survival thing. And, uh, he didn't really know how to work for other people though. He had over the years, it was more of this craving of independence, but that also came with a little bit of uh, a lack of humility to get the business coaching and counseling that he needed in order to be successful. So a lot of railroad track thinking where he'd do a job and then the job would end. And then it's like, Oh, what's the next job? So we always jokingly would say, Hey, if we went into business together, don't ask me to sling a hammer. Right. I'll go get the deals. I'll book the contracts. And I think that um, that is a trap for a lot of people as they get into entrepreneurship, but really they just end up creating a glorified job for themselves. Yeah. More self-employed, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, that's a great way to put it. So I knew for myself personally, like I didn't want to do that. But as I've gotten older, what I realized was I didn't want to do solopreneurship. I didn't want to be self-employed. I wanted to have a business because to me that was an asset. Mm. So fast forward, you graduate from school and you go start, you know, working for somebody else as an accountant. What did you go to one of the big, big five or whatever? I didn't. So I started out in private industry. So I started working for big construction companies and, uh, and that sort of thing, running their accounting departments. So, you know, um, big multimillion dollar firms. So I would go in, obviously run their books, run their accounting department, uh, do that sort of thing, work as a controller. And so I did that for years, worked for several different companies and, um, I never really felt fulfilled. Um, I always felt like there was something missing and to be honest, I hate working for other people. And I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but it, uh, it just, um, I just, I never felt settled in any of the, in any of the job paths that I had. And so, um, I kind of moved from place to place. I, you know, uh, didn't bail ship, uh, very frequently, but, uh, I kind of moved my way through my career in that early part, just looking for a place that I really felt appreciated where I felt like I was growing, where I was being watered and, uh, something that I really thought I would do long-term and I never really found it. Um, so I started working in public accounting, um, learning a different skill set, And, uh, you know, instead of working for one business, I was working for a lot of different businesses. And I really enjoyed that variety. Instead of working in one set of books and kind of having one circumstance, I could work in a lot of books with a lot of circumstances. 
And it really, working in public accounting is kind of a, a crazy animal, but um, if you want general business knowledge and understanding how things work and how people make money, what a better opportunity. I, I can't think of one. It, yeah, it's just you, you, you get a peek under the hood of a thousand different hot rods and you get to see like, What's what's this one built like? What what kind of engine you got there? Who who's making this thing tick? You know, totally. Um, so you, you like if you're into business, which I really am, and I always have been. If you're interested in how other people make money and in replicating other people's success, because that's the only thing I've ever done. I've never pioneered a thing in my life. But um, if you're interested in watching how other people do it, that is a really cool way to to get into that. So. I got to work with a lot of different business owners and understand what they're doing. Uh, how can I make an impact on these people? What are they doing? And then what problems do they have that I can start to solve? So that's really how I approached it when I got into public accounting and um, moved around in there a little bit. And um, just uh, it's hard to find a great boss or a great leader. Yeah. There aren't a lot of them, you know, and in accounting in general, it's a very technical field full of really, really smart people. And sometimes really smart people are not really the best leaders, right? Uh, similar to engineers or other technical fields like that. They're very good at whatever their skill set is, but they're very bad with people. And I think that if you can't communicate your knowledge effectively, you basically don't have any worth, right? I mean, yeah. if you can't help someone else understand a problem, then it's just your problem, right? And so... Um, I just kept kind of moving through and trying to find that right boss and, uh, I never did. So I became my own. <laughs> That's really how it works. So your, your, uh, your resume is interesting to me because my accountant, you and I are actually talking about, uh, actually next week or two weeks from now yep. about potentially moving over and working with you. Sure. And one of the things I appreciate about you is you are very much an entrepreneurial minded accountant and you think a bit about things differently. But now hearing you talk out loud, I think it has a lot to do with your background and going straight into into working for companies and businesses as a, as a controller versus just going and being a bean counter, and which is sometimes how I feel is why am I having to come with you thinking about write-offs and tax savings and tax strategy? And you're just naturally wired that way because that's how you started your career. Right. And so now you, you're employing that with your your customers that you're working with and you're growing a team of accountants as well to do the same kind of thing, which I think is incredible, but you, you hit the nail on the head. You, most of these analytical people, they really, really struggle to lead. Well, right. They can have a small accounting firm, but man, to grow others, Zach Ross, that can go out there and do what you do. That takes a different skill set. Yeah. And frankly, they're not looking for the competition, right? I mean, yeah. that, that's really what it is. Uh, it's very much, um, it, it's very much an industry where they hold people down as as low as they can so that they can stay up, right? right. Um, That's gross. I just that. yeah. So j just even the way that public accounting works, um, all of these older folks that don't want competition have devised a way to make it really really hard to become a CPA. They've put out some pretty big barriers to entry and you have to work for them before you can even become a CPA, let alone go out and do your own thing. So the bar barriers to entry are very high. I understand that because you can hurt people if you don't know what you're doing. Sure. I get it. But uh, also it's very much that it's very much um, stay quiet in the back while I do my thing. Um, so they're looking for as many 
quiet people to, you know, uh, gravel below them as possible. And that's just not my personality type. Um, and, uh, not something I was interested in doing. So at some point I really just, uh, realized that, uh, to find the fulfillment that I was looking for and have the greatest impact for people, I was going to have to go out and invent it. And so that's what I did. I love that. Yeah. What are some of the biggest financial mistakes you see? Let's start with new entrepreneurs okay. that you see them make and early on in their career as entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, so the first would be uh, not having separation between your business and your personal life. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of people that uh, will be a 1099 contractor and just kind of think of themselves as like a quasi employee. But guess what? If you get paid by a 1099, you're a business owner and you better act accordingly. Right. So uh, a lot of folks, they uh, put their business income in their personal account. They spend their business uh, expenditures through their personal account as well. And that's a really poor way to do that. One, because you have no metrics, right? You don't know what is exactly a business expense, what exactly is a personal expense, what you should be writing off, what you shouldn't. Right. You don't have any metrics to grow from. The idea here for any business should be to grow, grow in revenue, grow in profit margin, whatever it is, right? And if you don't have a good, clean set of books, how do you know? Where yeah. are you starting from? Where are you ending up? What is your goal here? You can't do any of that. So uh, mixing business and personal is a big no-no for that reason. And then also because the IRS is looking for you and wants to audit you. Um, if the IRS, if you're a business owner and you're mixing your business and personal life by combining accounts and doing so on and so forth, um, IRS auditors have very little patience because they have very little time. And so um, they look for those sorts of people And they start disallowing expenses because if you send them a bank statement that has your mortgage, uh, your daughter's new bike, your wife's car payment, and then, oh, yeah, these are some marketing expenses, they're going to throw that out the window and say you don't have any deductions, pay up. And so uh, not having a a good, clean set of books is probably the biggest one that I see for brand new entrepreneurs. And it's such an easy fix, guys. Like literally just set up your LLC get your EIN, get a business banking account and set up QuickBooks. You can literally have it monitor your bank account. You can never end up in a spot where you can't account for your expenses going in and out of the account. And even if it is a personal expense that comes out, guess what? You can easily, with the click of a button, just designate it as a personal expense and it comes off the balance sheet. It's just stupid. My, my, My mom was helping my dad for a lot of years as an account, as the accountant, the bookkeeper, you know, and up until like a few years ago, they were still using the old school QuickBooks desktop. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Uh, you know what I mean? Like you're killing yourself to try to get all this information. And then where's this receipt? And we lost it. It's like, Hey, you, I get it. You lost the receipt, but you remember you ran it through your card and it, at least you have some track record and you can make a note inside of QuickBooks what that's for. Yep. No, so they just were adamant against <laughs> switching over. So do yourself a favor do it right. Probably one of the best things you can do when you get started is actually sit down with an accountant and say, Hey, what, you know, what are the things I need to get in order from the financial side of the business? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really quick, easy conversation for any accountant. I'll just right. say, look, 
don't worry about all of it. You're going to get there. When you big a big when you build a big company, we can worry about big problems. But for right now, when you're starting with step one, do these five things and don't worry about the rest of it. And okay. then once you get bigger, let's worry about the next five things. And you build off of it, but you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and you don't have to either. Just start with the basics. Get your LLC, get your bank account, like you said. Um, use a QuickBooks if you want to. That's fantastic. Even if you don't, just having that separation of getting paid into your business bank account and spending business money out of your account, you're ahead of nine out of 10 people, right? So it's just, it's as simple as that. Just do the basics well and you can build from it. The other thing too, is if you're, if you're new to business, you might not have like a good business attorney, but I'll tell you what, accountants are generally one of the best sources of who you should be talking to because they know a great insurance person. They know a great uh, attorney, they can give you some recommendations of people that you can use to build your external team. So hundred percent. Yeah. What are, uh, what are some of the biggest uh, tax advantages that new entrepreneurs could be thinking about that they're not thinking about? Cause I know for myself personally, one of the things I was thinking about when I made the transition was, you know, man, my income is going to be lighter than what I'm used to. And so now I have to take into account that I don't have as much income, but then I learned about things like vehicle deductions and whatnot. And, you know, you can offset some of your tax burden by, you know, buying yourself a company vehicle effectively. So, yeah. So I think the first piece, if, if this is your first year of entrepreneurship and uh, you haven't filed a tax return yet, you should be expecting something called self-employment tax. Okay. There's ways to strategize around this, but in general, you're going to have to pay self-employment tax. So, Self-employment tax is comprised of Social Security and Medicare taxes. Now, when you're a W-2 and you work for somebody else, they're taking that from your paycheck every time you get paid. We just acknowledge that whatever we get in our bank account is less than what they intended to pay us. We don't really understand the taxes and whatever else, right? When you work for someone else, they're taking 7.65% of your paycheck and they're sending it to the government for Social Security and Medicare. Provides no immediate benefit to you. It doesn't get added to your tax return. You're not getting credit anywhere for it. It's just the cost of doing business. Your employer is doing the same thing. They are also paying 7.65% of your wages to the government. So a combined amount of 15.3%. When you're self-employed, you are paying both sides of it. You're paying both as the employee and the employer and the government wants to get paid. And the hard part about it is that uh, yes, it's 7.65% more expensive, but you're saving it up till the end of the year. No one's taking it from your paychecks, right? So a lot of people get caught in their first year, and I see a lot of realtors this way. They don't understand that their taxes are going to be more because they're self-employed and they don't plan accordingly. So just understand that there are other taxes that are going to get incorporated uh, when you file for the first time and therefore, and there's other ways that you can strategize around this S corps and lots of other things. Right. So uh, kind of at a higher level, but just starting out, understand that there's other taxes associated with more than just regular income tax. So what are people not really taking advantage of? Um, You can buy business vehicles and you can write up business vehicles. You touched on that as well. Uh, there's kind of an over and under of 6,000 pounds, right? If, you, if you're buying a vehicle that weighs under 6,000, then the deduction is significantly less than the first year. If it's over 6,000, significantly more. If you drive into any real estate brokerage, you'll understand why there's nothing but SUVs and trucks in there, right? Because they need the write-offs. Yeah, and nice, good-looking ones generally, too. Good-looking vehicles, right? Um, yeah, they, uh, realtors like to live large, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's a really good one. 
You can do a home office if you want to. There's there's other high-level deductions that you can get into, but you need someone to help guide you through this. There's a lot of information, especially if you're if you're tuning into this podcast, you're probably looking in other areas for advice as well. And there's a lot of information on Instagram and other uh, other platforms letting you know that you can do things such as rent your house out to your business called the Augusta strategy, right? Or you can pay your kids through your business. There are caveats and documentation requirements for each of those things. And if you willy nilly go out and do that and you get audited, you're going to get crucified, right? So um, just pair up with your tax person and ask about these strategies. If you're interested know what's involved, how you should be doing it, uh, the different documentation requirements, how the IRS views those deductions, those sorts of things. Yeah. You know, and I have, I have a very, um, interesting thoughts and around paying your kids through your business. Like sounds great. But if I try to go sell my business in the future and all of a sudden there's this line item of me, you know, paying my kids, whatever, 12, 18 grand a year, Mm -hmm. one, I'm going to have to explain that to the future buyer. And then to, or the future, you know, merger partner or whatever. And so I just think that that's a very like sole proprietor mindset type of strategy. There's so many other ways to, you know, build a better long-term business, business and asset, but it's probably for another podcast. Right. So, right. um, so you mentioned something, which is, which I'm really interested to explore, which is just how you're growing your team and maybe doing things a little bit differently. And I, one of the epiphanies that's come to me on doing a lot of these podcasts is, you know, like if you're pioneering a new industry, as you alluded to Henry Ford, right? 30 years to build a personal vehicle, Jeff Bezos, Amazon, things like that. Then, you know, it's a long, hard journey and you, you're towing the line for a very long time before anybody really believes in you. But your competitive advantage when you're stepping into a highly competitive market where there's tons of CPA firms, you're going up against H&R blocks and all those types of things. Generally, the advantage is to just build a slightly different business model that's more favorable towards your employees. So I just love to know a little bit about how you're approaching and growing CPAs and maybe thinking a little bit differently than, you know, the guy down the street. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the philosophy that I, I took into this business was um, to be the boss that I wish that I had. That That's really the way that I look at this. Um, I f- I feel like a lot of people uh, that work for others aren't really uh, dignified or appreciated or valued, right? I, I certainly felt like that in my career a lot. Um, those people recognized that I was going to go places that they weren't, right? Every every one of my bosses knew that. They said, I know you're not going to be here for long, um, but while you are, this is how it's going to be, and right. we're going to do these things, right? And so you're going to do it my way and that, that kind of thing, right? So um, – I so to back up, I guess right before I started my business, the last CPA firm that I worked for, um, I thought it was a much better environment than what I had just come from. I had been kind of in a brutal environment and uh, didn't particularly enjoy the people that I was working for and just felt uh, complete stagnation. So I got an opportunity at somewhat a boutique CPA firm uh, here in Northern Colorado that deals with a lot of high net worth people, right? Good opportunity. I got a lot of experience at that place. But when I went in there, I thought, finally, I have a work environment where the bosses are great. Uh, I'm going to be appreciated. I have some autonomy on what I want to work on, that sort of thing. And it was not that. Um, The people I worked for were brutal. They were brutal and 
quirky and uh, very unsettled, right? And so I remember sitting at my desk and <clears throat> just like, you know, I put put my word down, just kind of put my head in my hands and I'm just like, how did this happen again? Yeah. How do I keep getting these these bad bosses, right? Right. And uh, I'm a Christian. I know you are too, Samson. And, uh, you know, faith faith definitely guides our lives, right? But uh, I've never had God, like, audibly talk to me. But there have probably been three or four times in my life where there's a voice in my head that's not mine. I don't yeah. know if you can relate or not. I, but I definitely relate. Um, anyway, uh, I'm just sitting there, like, kind of, you know, feeling bad for myself and thinking, like, how did I get another one of these bad bosses? And what am I going to do? What am I going to do about it? Am I going to leave right away? Am I going to, you know, whatever. And so I'm kind of sitting there uh, taking it all in and I hear the voice that says, make this be your last boss. I was like, all right. (laughs) Yeah, I'm good with that. And then also uh, it popped into my mind that you should be the boss to other people that you need right now. So whatever it is that you're feeling, make sure that other people aren't feeling the same. And so that's been my approach to, uh, if you want to call it leadership or or building a team or having people, is to let them do what they're interested in. Let them have autonomy. Let them have flexibility. Uh, give them a voice and treat them as equals. Those are those are really the approaches that I take as as far as building a team. Um, Love that. I'm not better than anyone else. I might be further along in my knowledge uh, or my journey. Um, I might have a, a different skill set than. Uh, people that might work for me, but uh, everybody's opinions are valued. Everybody's contributions are valued. Um, I'm very loose with compensation. Uh, I just, I want people to, I want people to go home and feel fulfilled. And I'm not always going to control every piece of that, but I'm going to do everything that I can to try and help them feel that way, to help them feel valued and empowered. So if I can do that. Your work, man, I mean, that's where you spend most of the hours of your life. So it's a, it's a significant portion. And I think that there is a shift that's happening right now. And, and a lot of great entrepreneurs end up getting into entrepreneurship because they felt like they were just replaceable. Um, and the best ones, the ones that built self-managing companies, build teams of irreplaceable people. And part of that is what you just said, you know, they have to be, they have to feel like they're wanted there and they're fulfilled because long-term and 10, 15, 20 years of your life at a place that you're not feeling fulfilled like that, that's miserable. Nobody's going to put up with that, especially when there's so much opportunity. Like I can do a search right now of C-level positions on LinkedIn uh, for marketing. And there's like 6,000 C-level VP type jobs that come back. So there's a ton of optionality for people to not have to work for an asshole, basically. hundred <laughs> you percent. Know? We only, we only get one of these, right? We only get one life. Right. And uh, I work with a lot of older people that, just lost a spouse or are trying to do end of life planning or, you know, in retirement and so on and so forth. And so many of them are unhappy, unsettled. They don't have the finances that they had hoped for. They can't live the life in retirement that they want to. They can't go see their kids enough and those sorts of things. And every time I see that, it just crushes me. And I think that life is just much too short to be unhappy. Right. And so uh, I feel people, I feel badly for people that are in those situations and I don't want that to be my situation for other people. Yeah. I love that. So what's the big hairy audacious 10 year goal? What do you, what do you see elevated in 10 years? Yeah. I, uh, I'll be honest. I don't do 10 year goals. Um, I do annual goals and um, we uh, actually in, 
at my house, we do a vision board and my kids are six and four and we all set goals. So we'll set, uh, we'll set individual goals for everyone and then we'll set family goals. So family goals are more like, you know, take this vacation or, you know, get this thing that we like or, or whatever. They're less goals and more just, you know, priorities, I guess. But, um, individual goals, it's, it's always growth. Right. And my wife is in sales and she's very good at what she does. And so she sets goals for herself too. And so we look and see where we're at right now, our areas of improvement. And then, uh, we set goals in those areas. So the revenue goals, they are, number of employee goals, their number of client goals, those sorts of things. So I, I do less of a, a tenure of five year and I'm just trying to get year over year growth and stack those. Yeah. Have you ever thought that maybe you'll pick your head up in 10 years and not like where you end up though? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I hope not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. 10 year goals are hard cause they're kind of fuzzy. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's kind of like uh, flying a plane, you know, if you're one degree off, you can end up in a totally different state or country. I hear you. Yeah. And I think maybe what you're saying is that if you stay with shorter term goals, you can miss the big picture or uh, I guess not make the strategic moves that would benefit you long term. Yeah. I I think one year goals are incredible. And we set them in every company that I have. I'm just saying that it's it's generally like, where are we going in 10? What do we got to do in three to be there? On, on pace for 10. Yep. So what do we got to do in the next year to get there? You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it's, it's a great point. And, um, I think I have an idea of what I want revenue to look like, what I want my work life to look like in 10 years, what my personal investments look like, and then, uh, sprinkle in kind of the rest around those big staples. Right. Yeah. So you have it. I mean, it's maybe not, I do. it's not calling that it for some people. It's just lifestyle design, right? Like I want to, self-managing company and I want to be at this place financially so that I can spend this kind of time with my family. It's not always like we're going to have a hundred locations and you know, I, I, yeah, you, you hit it on the head for me. That's what it, what I want it to look like. I want to, I want to live here. I want this type of company with my contributions being this, I yep. want this type of income so that I can support this type of life. That's, that's what I see in 10, 15, 20 years for sure. I love that. What are some of the, the goals you got going into 2023 for the next year? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we're, we're growing right now. We're, uh, we're adding at least a couple of team members before tax season. Um, so that's kind of top of mind, finding the right people with the right skill sets that will fit in our environment. Um, I'm, I wouldn't say scared is the right word, but I'm concerned about having people that fit pretty seamlessly in with our culture. Right. I think we've built a really good one where there's a whole lot of trust and alignment and everything else. And I think that all it takes is one person to come in and sort of throw that whole thing off. And so culture is very important for me and having uh, shared values and shared, uh, I guess. Yeah. Values would probably be the best way to put that. So, um, yeah, I mean, core values are really what sets the culture, right? So, So yeah, that that's what we're concerned about. We're hiring at least a couple. We're expanding our office. Um, we've already signed work to be about twenty percent up where we were uh, from twenty twenty two. So twenty twenty three is going to be a big year. Wow. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we doubled in size from nineteen to twenty. We doubled in size from twenty to twenty one. Uh, doubled in size again to twenty two, and we'll probably do the same in twenty three. So. 
Um, we're just uh, kind of gearing up for those things and trying to do it in a sustainable and smart way. What's been the key to just all that growth? Is it marketing? Is it referrals or some combination of the two? It started off with marketing for sure. Um, I'm not a marketing guy. I don't have any background or experience in it. I uh, took a couple of classes in college. Couldn't tell you what I learned, right? So <laughs> it's not really, that's not my skill set. But uh, when I was starting in the journey um, and when I was working for other people and just, you know, entertaining the idea of doing my own thing, I started looking for mentors, uh, mostly online through media content and, uh, found Gary V and I don't really like listening to Gary V that much. I think he's a little unrelatable cause he's not really human, right? It's just yeah. like all the guy does is work, yeah, I work and, uh, 20 hours today. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and he just tries to tell other people not to do the same thing. Right? right. So, uh, he's a little unrelatable in that thing, but he has some really, really important nuggets of information. And one video that I, I remember watching and I watched it probably 20 times was, uh, him telling you to um, basically offer up your goods without charging people for them. So he said, this is the way forward. This is how you get people is that you help them with no expectation. So just start helping people and then people are going to start giving you their money. Right. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I don't know anything about marketing, but this guy is went from being, you know, working in his dad's liquor store to, you know, being a, a mogul. Right. So, I thought, I'm just going to go with that. I don't know any different. I don't see anyone else in my space doing this. I don't see a single person that's doing this. So I'm just going to go where people aren't, right, and see how it works. And so I just started uh, putting myself out there as much uh, as I could and giving people information, right? And so um, doing stuff like this, um, teaching classes uh, at Realties and and other places where people wanted the the information, um, posting things online, right, and just – giving quick tidbits about things that I know people don't know. Right. And so we're talking about, you know, uh, what do entrepreneurs need to know to do these, these things, right? It was those tidbits of information. This is how depreciation on a vehicle works. One minute on that. Yeah. Next video, this is how depreciation on a rental property works. One minute on that. This is how a rental per property makes people money and saves you money on your taxes. Right. And so I just would give these tidbits of information, uh, freely without expectation. And, you don't always know who's even consuming the content, right? But all of a sudden, people sliding in the DMs. And, totally. <laughs> uh, started, I, I got, got prob- customers sliding uh, yeah, in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, exactly. So people that have tax questions, right? And so totally. uh, they would start out there. And then um, if you can communicate uh, in a clear and concise manner, uh, that you know what you're talking about and you solve people's problems, they're going to keep coming back to you. And so um, I became a referral monster at that point. Um, you help people out with that expectation, you start getting referrals. And uh, I don't even do a whole lot of marketing like that anymore because the referral game is so strong. I'm not sure that uh, I probably should do some more marketing from where I'm at right now, but we're growing at such a rate right now that um, I'm, I'm happy with how things are coming in. Yeah, referrals so, are great, man. Proof of work. They somebody, are. somebody else is just... I've sent you plenty of people and yep. we haven't even officially been working together right. mainly because I've been with my other guy for so long and it's a little bit of a pain in the butt to rip and replace. Sure. But then there's always that moment, right? Where, and you took some of my phone calls this year where I was a little bit frustrated, you yep. know? And uh, that's a prime example of just reciprocity of just give, give, give. And, and that's long game strategy. Most people don't do marketing that way. They right. have this very like direct to response type marketing and, uh, that works for a little while, but it gets pretty annoying after a while. 
I think that that, I think like the really in your face type marketing and just like kind of unsophisticated, like, Hey, we sell stuff. Like, you know, you can only say, Hey, we sell stuff so many times and people know that you sell stuff. Right. And either they're going to buy from you or they're not. Maybe if they need something a year from now, great. We'll give you a call then, but I don't need to know that you sell stuff anymore. Because you're not providing any value, right? right? You're just telling people that you do something. Totally. Like, hey, I wear socks. Like, you know, you're just you're just <laughs> stating you're just stating a fact, right? So, I think that the path forward for a lot of people is just uh, finding problems and then solving them in a creative way. And if you can do that, I, you're not going to have a lot of competition because not many people are actually doing that. We, especially in your space. Oh right. my gosh, man! Right. Because those most of them tend to be so analytical. Yep. They're terrified to get in front of a camera and just drop little nuggets. And or they have the curse of knowledge, right? Where they just think that everybody understands this. Like, dude, tax code is confusing, but that's the game. Right. You know, we're in a capitalistic society. So the government relies on us to do two things, which is create jobs and create housing for people. If you do those two things, you get the maximum benefit of the tax code. That said, the tax code is always changing. I mean, like this year, bonus depreciation. So last year for 100% bonus depreciation, it's going to cut down to 80%. Yep. But- we get through these midterms and we get a new election cycle and a new, who knows, I could go back to what it was. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, a lot of things get extended. We have, there's always fluid circumstances like look at COVID, right? You had the PPP, you had EIDL loans, you had uh, employee retention credit. They're just, there's always something and there's so much for people to know and then digest and communicate to other people. And so totally. uh, that, that's what I've always tried to do is just, understand a complex topic and then deliver it in as few words as possible. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. Taxes are, uh, give people anxiety and are confusing. Yep. Okay. So there is an entrepreneur who's listening to this right now. Who's like, man, you know, Zach can do it. I think I can do it too. What, what advice or encouragement do you have for them? Yeah. Um, don't put the world's pressure on your shoulders because it can feel like a mountain. Going from working from someone else to being completely self-sustained sounds like a challenge for most people, and it is, right? Don't worry about all that. Don't worry about five years from now. Don't worry about making two hundred and fifty grand. Don't worry about any of that. Worry about helping the first person, and then worry about helping the second person. Yeah. And just keep building from there. You don't have to solve the world's problems in one day. Just take the first step. That's it. I didn't jump off a cliff. A lot of people do when they when they do entrepreneurship. They just dive and hope that they land on their feet. I didn't do that. I started marketing myself, and I was working nights and weekends and lunches, and at 4 in the morning, I worked 3,300 hours the year before I left full-time for my own gig, right? You have the time you need to put in the effort. If you can't afford to just, if you don't have the savings to just sustain your family for six months, just get the first client, whatever it is that you're doing, whatever you're interested in, just do the first one and then do the second one and get a little bit better each time. And all of a sudden you're going to have a body of work behind you where you're getting referrals. People respect you. You view view yourself as a professional, but all you have to do is just do that first step. Don't worry about running a marathon yet. Just get down the block. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. Just bite it off in chunks, right? When you're doing something that sucks, I don't know, you, Samson, you're, uh, you know, a chiseled Greek god here, but if I'm doing like (laughs) a high rep set of something and it sucks, I never count from one to 20. Yeah. 
I do four sets of five. A hundred percent. It's the same thing. It's yeah. the exact same thing. Don't do a set of 20. Do 10 sets of two if that's what makes you feel calm in, at night. Yep. Don't put the world's weight on your shoulders. You are going to get there, but no one runs a marathon without walking down the block first. So just just start. And I love that. Have a good team around you. Surround yourself with just good other professionals that can give you good counsel and guidance. Be patient. And then this, what you said comes up all the time, which is, don't just pull the ripcord and jump off the cliff. And I, I think for late start entrepreneurs, right, where you got families and kids and responsibilities and mortgages and all these types of things, this is just not very practical. But what you did, which is where a lot of people where the rubber meets the road, is every hour outside of their normal nine to five, they're putting in work. You have to. No one's going to do it for you. Yeah. No one cares if I have a business or not. Yeah. They do now because if I went away, they'd be in a tough spot, right? right? But I mean, I had to eat dirt for a long time in order to eat, you know, venison, right? So um, you have to put in the work. There's no escaping it. And just embrace the work. Again, take it one step at a time. But I don't know if this gets brought up on your show a lot or not. And I know that you can relate to this, but you better have the right partner on this journey because yeah. it's going to be hard. Yep. So having having the right spouse in your corner and having them have a shared vision of what you're trying to accomplish is so important because if there's turmoil there, it's not going to work for you and it's probably not going to work for them either. So if you have a vision and a dream, figure out a way to communicate it in a way that gets your spouse excited and they're willing to be there with you because even if they're not the one doing the work, they have the kids when you are down in the basement doing whatever it is that you're right. doing. When you're trying to build something after hours and early in the morning and on the weekends and whatever, there's pressure on them the same that there's pressure on you. They might not be doing the work, but they're feeling it the same. So you better have the right person uh, in in the journey with you. And if you're not sure about that, start having the conversations and you talk about goal setting, maybe that's the right way to approach that. If your spouse is like, no, just get a good, safe job, right? Because a right. lot of people are like that. Have them draw out their dream their dream life. Where do you want to live? What do you want to do? What kind of money do we have? What are, what are our kids doing? What vacations are we taking? What kind of car are you driving? Draw that out, right? Don't worry about money. And then show them where you're currently at financially. And then have them figure out how to get from where you are to where they want to be. And that usually will help them get on board with your vision. I love that. Include them in the journey. You have to. Yeah. yeah, especially as entrepreneurs, it's so easy to get out there and just like, here's what we're going to do. Yep. And they're like, but what about me? What yep. about what I want? Yep. Yeah. She didn't sign up for entrepreneurship. You did. Yep. So. That's it. <laughs> I love that. So if, if somebody is listening to this and they want to connect with you, they connect mm-hmm. with your story, or maybe they're in a similar industry and they're trying to figure out how to make the transition. Yep. How do they best connect with you? Yeah. Uh, Facebook, um, just my name, Zach Roth. Um, I think it's Zach Roth CPA on Instagram. Uh, feel free to call our office. If you need some help, you can certainly email me, which is Zach Z A C H at elevated I love that. Hey bro. I love you, man. Thanks for being here. I love you too. Thanks for having me.